welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Matt, I have a very personal question for you. Um, Given what you know of my affiliations and um, having attended a certain university that um, did well yesterday, is this still in keeping with humility if I put the... Duke Blue Devil mug out like that? Well, it is United Methodist School. So it is United Methodist that. School. It is. It feels a little bit ostentatious to put it that far forward. But, um, I'm thinking if your wife shows up at 11 o'clock, you will. Yes, since my that. wife is a Razorback fan and is not in worship right now, we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> we won't be talking about 11 o'clock when she'll be on the second row. You know, the hymns provide for us such amazing depth of theology. The songs are expressions of the soul. Um, I think, Merritt, probably that the inspiration for that hymn was uh, the piece that you all sang, that arrangement was from Matheson's, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, right? He lost his sight when he was a youth, but he went on composing and writing. I'm just going to read you the opening lines to kind of set our hearts before we move into Scripture. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. That's the opening line. Stanza two, a light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. A third stanza, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. In verse four, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. What depth. In a moment, you're going to stand, but not yet, setting the context for the text. We're going to look at bold, shameless, audacious prayer. And that may seem odd, but this is actually the translation that comes through in the NIV translations in Luke chapter 11, verse 8. We're going to read through that passage, and we're going to come to the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to invite you, when you see the words that appear on the screen of Scripture from the NIV, to read along, but you'll have to pay close attention because Luke's text is different than Matthew's text, and the Lord's Prayer that we speak most often comes from Matthew's text. But what we want to look at is, what does it mean to have bold, shameless, audacious prayer? And sometimes we have the wrong kind of focus, and I'm hoping that as we look at this text, we'll unpack it and find out where our focus needs to be. In respect to God's holy word, I'll invite you to stand as you're able. Text will be on the screen for the NIV translation. Follow along in your Bible if you've brought that as well. And again, when Jesus begins to give the words to the Lord's Prayer, I'll ask us all to join in together in that text. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. And which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. Oh God, may your Spirit stand between me and your people so that the words that I speak would be transformed into your words. And that what we need to hear from your scripture is what each of us needs to be challenged and comforted with. Hide me behind the cross, that Christ alone be glorified, for it is the name of Christ that we pray, it is in the name of Christ we gather, and it is in the name of Christ that we will depart this place and go forth to serve faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. This passage has an interesting kind of flow to it, and whenever we look at particular text in particular Gospels, it's good to ask, what's familiar with this author's way of writing? So when we look at Matthew, for example, Matthew has more Old Testament references than any of the other Gospels. He has a lens more through the Jewish lens. Uh, Mark is a gospel of immediacy. Things happen so quickly. It's the shortest of the gospels. John, John is thinking to be, we think John's written later. And ironically, even in the gospel of John, it's where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And yet there is no last supper in John. And when we look to Luke, we see that Luke is, we believe, to be Luke the Gentile, Luke the the one who also writes the book of Acts. And so we look at this construct and how things are arranged, and just from a literary perspective and how this is arranged by the gospel writer, you have the context set up. Again, Jesus was playing in a certain place. That's absolute ambiguity. It's just a certain place, right? And then you have the Lord's Prayer, Most of us are familiar with that, so I'm going to kind of skip past that aspect and really kind of dig into verses 5 through 13, because what happens is you have a teaching, you have a parable, you have a teaching, you have a parable, and then it ends with sort of a teaching of an exclamation point. And this flow back and forth, I believe, is to set forth for us the contrast that exists, People come to Jesus all the time with requests, right? They frequently bought him questions. Uh, Sometimes the questions were elaborately contrived and carefully prepared because they were trying to trap him. As once heard said, uh, you shouldn't try to trap Jesus in a conversation because your arms are too short to box with God. 
Sometimes there were questions for clarity, and Jesus would respond, well, you've heard it said, and I say that. Sometimes the requests were for healing. Openly spoken, sometimes like the woman with the issue of blood, there wasn't even a request. There was such this bold faith that if I could just touch the hem of his garment as he's walking away, I'll be healed and she was made whole. There are authentic requests from the heart. And then sometimes there were just questions and simple statements. For example, you have the rich young ruler who, though he had everything, comes to say in Luke 18, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? He realizes everything he's done falls short. He's bold to ask, what do I need for eternal life? You have Philip, a disciple who, who says, it, 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 to just, Lord, show us the Father, and it's going to be enough for us. Philip, who'd walked with Jesus, whom Jesus affirmed, still didn't quite get it. And Jesus is filled with grace in response, saying, you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even the thief on the cross, as Jesus is suspended between earth and heaven, dying for the sins of the world, the thief is only able to muster a prayer of boldness, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So beyond the words of the Lord's Prayer, where we're taught how to pray, and we know quite well how to pray those words, how do we pray? And how do we pray as a people who both believe that God answers prayers and as a people who believe and trust even when prayers aren't answered? Now look, I'm going to tell you before we ever move any further, I cannot explain to you why it is that some prayers are answered and others are not. I'm going to give you just hopefully the easiest example. I stand, I think, in the same place that every person who hears my voice stands that says, there's a guy named Putin who needs to have his heart changed at the very least. Some may take it even a step further. I'm saying he needs to have his heart changed. And it needs to happen immediately. And that would be the fervent prayer that we have, right? God, change his heart. He's like a modern-day Pharaoh, right? Just God, change his heart. God, change his heart. Why isn't God changing his heart? I don't know. Why is the evil that's happening? Well, we can logically understand that we have a human tendency for power and war, and we abuse each other in horrible ways. And we can also celebrate the fact that even mothers in Poland rolled empty strollers to train stations. They did what they could do for people who were showing up. I don't know why God doesn't answer those prayers when everything seems to be so dadgum obvious. God, he's an evil person. Do something about it. And it's a legitimate expression that we have, right? It's, but it's beyond us. But it doesn't alleviate this question. God, what do you want me to do? You see, when I'm going to give you a little hint. The end of this is the surprise in, in the last verse, verse 13. The delivery of all this isn't that bold, audacious prayers delivers winning lottery ticket numbers, big IRAs, and the house you always wanted. Big, bold, audacious prayers, if you read the last verse, says, and God will give his Holy Spirit to you. See, it's not about changing the outside. It's about a bold, audacious prayer. Do you have the courage to say, God, I want you to just to have your way in my life, whatever that means, whatever it happens. That's bold. That's audacious. That's shameless. That's just saying, God, do what you want to do in my heart and life. We were able to get into, uh, unlike 2020, when we woke up one morning 
And the border to Israel was closed in March of 2020, and several folks in this room were with me on that trip. And we hung out at the hotel, and I was going, this is going to be so much fun. What an adventure. And everybody else was going, you're crazy. We're, we're shut in Bethlehem. I'm going, wasn't this awesome? We'll get stuck in Bethlehem. How cool. It'll last a week. What, what, what are you worried about, right? And then we got to Israel, and the same thing happened. And I was getting excited again, and my wife looked at me and said, I don't care who you think you are right now. You better get us home. You better find a way to get us home. Je- this is Jesus' hometown, not mine. And so I didn't have that same adventuresome spirit. So we're going back into Bethlehem, and so I have all this range of emotions. Uh, the crowds are much less. Usually they go to the, her- the Church of the Holy Nativity. There's three different Christian traditions that actually uh, are keepers at the front. And there's usually a Franciscan priest who sits sideways, and all he does is say, Quiet! Silence! Because the crowds are out the door, and there's lots of noise. Folks, the crowds weren't out the door. Because of, you know, we had to take like 30,000 COVID tests just to walk 10 feet over there. We're able to go down and we'll go down to what's called the grotto where the birthplace of Jesus is. And usually there's the Armenian priest who's standing down over the little opening and there's this silver inlay. You can Google it where it commemorates the birth of Christ. It's a star and it's got 17 points representing the 17 generations. And usually the Armenian priest is going, no kneeling. Put your hand, picture, keep going, keep going. They're, they're, they weren't rushing us through. So, wow, this is going to be a holy moment. How cool. Not only were we able to go in and not be rushed through, they let us go to the back of the grotto and sing Silent Night. Here we are singing Silent Night in a place that commemorates the birth of Christ. A little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. We filled out our day and we come back to the hotel in Jerusalem at the olive tree only to find out that there were 17 families who had arrived from Ukraine. Israel made arrangements and it's not the only country that's done so, but um, as of today, they have processed uh, 100 families through that hotel and your contributions that you helped with last week were amazing and friends I simply put out the plea and here's why because as much as I wanted God still to change Vladimir Putin's heart and I'm still praying for that I had to ask God what do you want me to do what do you want me to do in this moment I look over and there's a person who's smiling and there's a total language barrier and, and, and what I learned is they have nothing but the clothes on their back one person who was actually outside when bombs started following they didn't go back into their house They got in a car and left. That was it. Can you imagine that for your life? Then on the way to your car today, with what you've got on your body in person right now, that's all you have. Bombs start falling and you have to be whisked away. And that's it. You leave everything else behind. And I was struck with the oddity. Here I am singing about the peace of the world for the one who was a refugee years ago, born in Bethlehem, who had no place to lay his head and there was no room in the inn. And it was really very obvious. I mean, even this dense disciple and follower of Christ couldn't miss that moment, right? He goes, Bert, do something about it. So put the call out. You all gave over $9,000 in about six days. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment. But first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. 
We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Now, we're not done yet. You're going to hear more about the Afghan relief and the Ukrainian relief in the month to come. But that'll be a monthly mission opportunity. So just put a pause on that. Don't get overly anxious right now. We're going to, this is not a short journey. Folks, this is not a put a, something in the swipe a card and check last week and we're done. What's the next new issue? This is a humanitarian crisis that's going to face us. But you were able to make a difference. And from what you gave, we went back into Bethlehem and we bought for 17 families an extra pair of clothes, socks, personal items, because they had nothing. You see, in that moment when I was wanting to pray a, a bold, audacious prayer, I was wanting God to do something externally, and I still do. I still want God to change Putin's heart, but I had to ask God, What's, what do I need to do? And I set aside the schedule for the day to be a pilgrim on the tour, to be a pilgrim in mission. And I went and on your behalf, in you with me and I with you, God closed the distance and we made a difference and we're going to continue to make a difference in the lives of a hundred families as they transition from the hotel to it's basically a small apartment and the funds you have given will help provide for them pots and pans and clothes and medications until they are fully onboarded with the Israeli government and their needs are met. You see, when we pray bold, audacious prayers, it's asking God, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to be involved in the difference that's in the world? But bold praying is not about a geometric formula that magically unlocks God's will or God's action. You see, boldness is about bringing our heart to God. But too often what we can do in the sense of being bold in our prayers is make the same mistake that we sometimes make thinking that things don't happen because we didn't have enough faith. It's often been said, well, if you believe it, you will receive it. I believe I'm going to be real skinny. That hadn't happened yet. I don't make skinny anyway. I turn, right, Mark Ward? I mean, but it doesn't help that at the Kairos meeting I had seven donuts yesterday. I do confess, right? I participate in my fluffy pastoral appearance. Right? So in prayer, we bring our desires to God. You see, we're a both-and kind of people. We still will stand with people who have a cancer diagnosis. And we don't pray as sort of weak-kneed kind of secularist prayers or as Stanley Hirewall says. We don't make prayers to an unknown God. You know, God, maybe if you would. No, we pray boldly. God, we ask for you to move. God, we ask for you to heal. You've given these things as gifts of science and medicine. And God, we're asking you to heal. Because that's the cry of our heart. And we're people who say, God, whatever happens, thy will be done. How do we know how to respond? How do we walk with people? It's a both and kind of moment. And I cannot answer for you why it is that incredibly beautiful, faithful people don't have prayers answered for healing, for health, for broken relationships. And some that seem to be just sort of mailing it in and attend at Christmas and Easter only get prayers answered. I don't know. That's a really great question. That's the mystery. But you see, this isn't about trying to apply some sort of Harry Potter formula that magically unlocks everything. There is no magic wand. 
Prayer has been said to be exhaling our spirit and inhaling God's spirit. Prayer is about our conversation with God. So here are things that when you want to be bold in your prayers, I also want to say, how do you do that? Uh, First, we don't know why some prayers are answered and some are not answered especially when they seem to be so clear. So we start from the beginning point knowing that prayer has an element of mystery because it's about what God's doing. And I cannot define that for you. I cannot explain it. I can see it, but I can't understand it completely. The second thing that's important to remember is that we can approach prayer, we should never approach prayer with a disrespectful or demanding attitude. At the same time. You should be able to ask anything from God and tell God how you're feeling. Now, some of you younger folk probably have never seen this movie, but it's a classic. Who's seen Forrest Gump, right? Gosh, there's so many many messages that sort of run parallel to gospel and biblical truths, right? Remember that scene when Captain Dan goes out and Forrest and Captain, they're out in the midst of the storm and Captain Gann hoists himself all the way up at the top of the mast, straps him in, he's got no legs and he is what? He's just flailing at God, right? Bring it on, is that all you got? And then you beep, 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 you know, bring it on, is that all you got? Beep, beep, beep. You see, this is, this is actually an okay thing to do in prayer. Because what has happened is Captain Gant is just expressing his heart, and it's a turning point in his life. It's a turning point in his life when he's just fully honest, bold enough to say, God, I don't get it. I'm tired. I'm broken. I'm frustrated. I need you to work on my behalf, God. This is okay to do. It's okay to pour your heart out to God. Because what you're doing is really revealing where you are and who you are. The only line you can't cross, and this comes from the Judeo-Christian tradition, you never cross the line of cursing God. There's actually a practice within a segment of the Jewish faith that says, when you do not understand, you can climb to the highest place that you want. You can lift your hands, you can ask God any question, you can yell at God, you can scream at God, but you cannot curse God. But you pour your soul out to him. And if it's a relationship, isn't that what it should be? So I want to break down one aspect of how I think this parable is to be understood. Because reality is, there's lots of people who have been knocking, seeking, and praying, and they haven't been finding, receiving, or getting. All right? It's a parallel to an unanswered prayer. But in the teaching parable, teaching parable flow of this text, it's very fascinating to know it's not accidental that the man goes to ask for bread. And these are the details in the text that sometimes we fail to really pull out and sort of spiritually diagram. In the parable, the man arises and goes to a neighbor's house. It's midnight, it's late, and he says, give me some bread. Now, why is he going to his neighbor's house for bread? Because he has someone he knows is going to be coming, and he doesn't have any bread. He's asking for three loaves of bread. He has a person coming. Here's why. When you had a visitor coming in Jewish tradition and they came to your house, part of the teaching, part of the mandate of hospitality biblically was you would provide for them bread. That's even picked up today when we go on our Holy Land tours and we walk in and you go into the Olive Tree Hotel in Israel. You walk in and there is bread that is laid out with a great big bowl of extra virgin olive oil 
and a big old bowl of za'atar, which is pretty good stuff. And you take the bread and you lather it full of the oil and you dip it in the za'atar and you eat it and then they have fresh squeezed orange juice, fresh squeezed grapefruit juice. It's hospitality. In other words, this man is unable in a way to live out the command of hospitality. So he goes to his neighbor and says, help me live into what I'm called to be in the world. I need your help to do that. And what Jesus does in this parable says, look at the contrast. God isn't someone who's half asleep you have to go beg from. God is the one who made you, created you, informed you. How much more will he be willing and wanting to listen to you in the cry of your heart than a neighbor whose ring doorbell just said you're at the front door? And then the second contrast is between what a child asks of a father and what the father gives to the child. In a complete contrast, no parent would give something harmful to a child. They're asking for bread, why would you give them a snake? If they're asking for a fish, why would you give them a squirrel? You wouldn't do that. It's a contrast. And all of that contrast culminates in this phrase. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, friends, the culmination of being bold in your prayer is both about asking what God could do to transform the world outside of you and being bold to ask what does God going to transform within you even if the outside never changes. We must pray as a people who believe that God answers prayer and pray as a people who trust even when the cries of our heart are not answered. And I want to say a final word about this sense of boldness. Sometimes boldness in prayer, I want to be real honest, it isn't about having an elaborate prayer. It's not about being able to formulate anything. Sometimes it's just being honest to God with where you are. Even today, you can go to the pools of Bethesda. It's an amazing place to see. In John chapter 5, there's the account recorded that there's a man sitting beside the pool, and whenever the pool waters would be troubled, you would go in and there would be healing if you were the first one in. And Jesus comes by and, and literally the text says this in John chapter 5, verse 5. A certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. You had a hard time doing code for two and so did I. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Nothing surprises Jesus. Don't, don't, don't miss that in John. Nothing surprises him. And he said to him, do you want me to make you well? Now, if you've been laying there for 38 years and Jesus shows up and says, do you want me to make you well? You're probably going to say, yes, now. And the man begins to give him an excuse. Sir, I've no man to put me in the pool and the water's stirred up. I'm, when I'm trying to go in there, someone else steps in before me. And Jesus just said, look, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this is a peculiar thing because the man didn't ask for a healing. There was no touch. It was just instantaneous. But in that moment, the man's just simply honest with Jesus. If you can't be anything else in your boldness and your prayers, be biblically clear in John chapter 5. Just tell Jesus where you are. Tell him you're tired, you can't even get to the waters. Be honest with him where you are. 
and let the conversation continue. In Mark chapter 9, there's a father who comes on behalf of his daughter. And Jesus says, do you believe? He says, Lord, help my unbelief. And God was faithful. When Sarah and Abraham laughed at the angelic visit, God was faithful. When Gideon hid in the wine press, when God showed up to say, you're going to be a mighty warrior. You're going to deliver the people from all the oppression. He was hiding out in a wine press, threshing the wheat. And basically Gideon says, you talking to me? And God was faithful. When Jonah ran, not just a little way, he got on a boat, he bought a ticket and tried to sail away. God was faithful and pursue him. When Peter denied Jesus, whether it be at Caesarea Philippi in his confession or in the shadows of darkness in Jerusalem, God did not turn his back. God was faithful. Even in John chapter 21, you read that Jesus went all the way to the Sea of Galilee and he found Peter who was fishing. God was faithful. When the disciples scattered at the night of the crucifixion, God is still faithful. When Thomas doubts at the resurrection, God is still faithful. When the disciples hide out of fear of the Jews in the upper room after the resurrection, after the resurrection, after the resurrection appearances, they're hiding in the upper room out of fear for the Jews. God was faithful. Friends, we serve a God of faithfulness whose faithfulness is never dependent upon our human capacity to know or understand what is happening or what is going on. So just do this, friends. Be bold. Be honest. Because God is always faithful. Let's pray together. God, would you help us bring absolute and full authenticity of who we are to you in this day. Would you help us to bring to you maybe some things that have been lingering in the back of our minds and some, some scars from hurts that we still need to bring to you and, and wrestle with. God, would you help us to be mindful there's nothing we can express to you that will change your love for us, that that's just who you are in your character and nature. So God, help us to be bold, to be shamelessly audacious in what we ask of who we are. And God, help us to be shamelessly bold and audacious in what we pray for the brokenness of our world. Whether it be the Ukrainian refugees or the Afghan refugees or the crisis of humanity even on our own borders, as we seek to balance our understanding of what it means to see that all blood run red and people of humanity hurt, you call us as people of faith to alleviate the pain and to see the face of Christ in our neighbor. God, help us to be honest with you so that we can create space for your Holy Spirit to fill us. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen.